Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that's always on the level. My name's Corey Hazelhurst, and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hi, Corey. Well, this is the first time in over a year that we are speaking together in person in our nuclear bunker. It's ironic, the one time we left our, our safe and secure bunker was when the world almost ended. It's... Well, we had to know, we were still in the bunker isolating from each other. What I want to know is who left the mug of tea still there, because... We now have a third host of the podcast taking up half the space. Be nice to Sebastian. He's our, he's our nice little mould friend. Unlike the media and certain government ministers, we're not going to let Dominic Cummings distract us from what the government's actually doing. We've had a Queen's speech, we've had a Conservative manifesto, and they've talked about levelling up and ministers talk about it a lot. But what does it actually mean? Regular listeners will be aware that it was Luke John Davis who stepped in for me again as I slowly recover from the short campaign hell uh, and begin long campaign hell, which is very different. This is, hopefully this is it. I am at the helm doing research. Pleased to see from the show last week that now you're not hosting, you'll do no research at all, which I suppose is standard. And also because I'm taking the helm again, we're going to start with a quiz. If, if, if I promise to do research again, will, will I never have to do a quiz again? Well, yes. Well, if you do research, you'll be able to answer the quiz, hopefully. Oh, God. So this is a quote from a Treasury report. What okay. year does it come from? For too long, too many nations and regions of the United Kingdom have been allowed to fall behind, and real economic gain must come from a process of levelling up. 1896. No, that that's the first Olympic Games, I think. <laughs> It's 2003. There's a shock. We've been talking about this for a while. In fact, you know, 2003, the, the height of New Labour. So uh, it's, it's not a, a party political thing. In fact, you had funds in 1934 being introduced to, about the, to specifically target regions hit by the Depression. So I suppose it's one of those things, isn't it? Britain's always been quite a centralised country unit and so there's always been quite a few economic inequalities between them yeah absolutely it is in, in many ways just one of the symptoms i suppose is the best way to put it of having a very centralized uh state is you do actually tend to end up with much more um kind of like regional inequality not just kind of inequality between regions but also within regions as well i mean my, my slightly facetious facetious answer of 1896 like to be honest, I'm pretty sure if you looked hard enough, you could probably find people talking about it back then as well, because it's the sort of thing which is consistently been a problem or an issue in, in one form or another. There's always a part of Britain or the UK which is is falling behind, uh, and because for, for for whatever reason, the, the the areas might change, the reasons more will change as a result, but there's always somewhere that it's not doing quite as well and. If we're going to take a historical perspective, we should you know, talk about the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. You know, it was the inequality between Mercia under Offa and the rest of the other kingdoms in the 8th century. I'm, I'm just going to oh. take, 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 take this moment, Corey, and say I'm not researching the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms ever. <laughs> well, some of us spend years of our lives doing it. All the, um, 
you know, Wessex is getting too big for its boots. Or, I mean, even, you know, there was a lot of regional inequality because of the harrying of the North as well. Very conscious government policies. Moving on. <laughs> no, but honestly, well... That, I, 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 I 100% believe you. No, so, so in, the, in the Doomsday Book, 20 years on after the harrying of the North, it literally would just still say this land is wasteland. Like, the <laughs> amount of stuff that William the Conqueror did to it was bad. He did not believe in levelling up. He mainly believed in levelling down, specifically levelling any political opponent <laughs> who wants to rebel against him. Yeah. I get. We digress. Um, there's a few different things that levelling up could mean, couldn't it? So, as you say, one of them could be, actually, is it about trying to get rid of inequalities between regions, too? Because the Institute for Fiscal Studies have done some interesting research on this. They say that actually differences between regions, yes, they are quite massive, they are quite significant, but once you take variable housing costs into account, actually doesn't tend to be as unequal as all that. Still quite unequal compared to a lot of European countries, but I mean that's again one of those interesting divides, isn't it, that we started to talk about a couple of weeks ago after my, uh, I returned after my sabbatical, which is that, that new divide in... Um, in terms of homeowners, so renters generally voting Labour, who tend to be in the bigger cities, homeowners in a lot of red wall seats, um, although we talk about them as being left behind areas, they tend to be, there's an interesting Economist article where if you've got a Barrett Homes development in your seat, uh, that you tend to also have a Tory MP, because actually it's like the Tories that voted for Harold Macmillan in the 50s. You've got families there who've got a nice two-bed semi, they're doing really well, so they're going to vote Tory. And so in term, it's not just a question of well, these regions are left behind and terrible, and these are doing great. I do think that with with the, the that notion of like Barrett's Britain, which is the, like the term I've seen kind of like described on, online to describe that section of of the population and those sorts of the uh, Barretting of the North. That's staying it, <sighs> including the a very long silence. Um, <laughs> Uh, so the thing with Barrett's Britain then uh, is that it, it very much does just play into that notion of there are a there's a certain obviously notion of what what like working class is and we like to view those kind of like the, the the seats that are Red Wall and that the Tories have won as being kind of like traditional more working class type type communities um, and you know maybe traditionally they are in various different ways. But they have within them those sorts of new new home developments built by people like by companies like Barrett's, who um, and the people who are buying them may very well be working class, but they're not necessarily the most in need individuals, um, because a lot of our class analysis these days is kind of naff, um, and that when you when you well, break. Thank you, Karl Marx. <laughs> What's your relationship with the means of production? <laughs> well, it's just that uh, there, there are an awful lot of things which, um, based around like, like like call centre workers and things like that, depending on how you are classifying, um, you know, I can never remember. Is it like the sociology grades, like A, B, C, D, E, and, and things like that? Mm -hmm. Depending on, on on how those are kind of like can be classified, because there's some slight variance and differences. In some instances, those don't count as working class jobs because they're they're basically office jobs. Um, rather than, and they're, they're, they're seen as be, being a bit more middle class, but actually you've got a lot of people in those those sorts of jobs who are making minimum wage and struggling to make ends meet. And if you're able to buy a home, you're not necessarily struggling to make ends meet. 
and uh, as a as a result of that, you have this kind of bit of a, I think, flawed analysis as to the who these people are that are voting Tory in these seats. Because as you say, it's because actually they're doing all right, Jack. Come back on some of that that class analysis. I get Paula Surridge, uh, who I think has moved to the UK UK and the Changing Europe think tank, does some typically really excellent, interesting work looking at. Because inevitably, following the election, there's uh, eight million Labour post mortems. One of which is is about the nature of working class support for the Labour Party. One of the points that she was making is that, however you want to cut it in terms of whether you look at the, the traditional things you look at in terms of with not your working class, which again is a big thing on Twitter, isn't it? How working class are you? Take our eight thousand page quiz. Um, but if you look at things like say level of education, you look at say are you in a manual job or not? All the all those sort of indications actually um labor's losing support the tories are gaining it and this is one of the things that we talked about in the podcast when we started five years ago is class is becoming less a determinant of how you vote it tends to be on say cultural attitudes it tends to be on education it tends to be on age as well that divide you're talking about i suppose of sort of insecure renters insecure work homeowners again does play out within regions so the ifs work it suggests that actually London has got people right at the top of that, uh, of, of income distribution in the UK. It's also got people right at the bottom of income distribution in the UK. And again, this is something, again, when, whenever you have this uh, class debate on Twitter and someone makes a comment about woke lo- London liberal elites, you know, they're all drinking chai lattes and dipping hummus in it and playing tennis or whatever it is that these sort of people do people say well actually some of the most deprived parts of the uk are in london and therefore if you're talking about leveling up the the debate never seems to be about leveling up within those city regions yeah because fundamentally i think a, a big reason for that is that the leveling up debate at least as we have currently the leveling up debate is in a lot of ways a political one it's these are areas where there is political gain to be made um, as demonstrated by the fact that the tories have won them and they're trying to hold on to them um, they've been given an opportunity to try and work for these areas and, and and help those specific areas and those areas aren't in london those areas aren't in birmingham for the most part you can maybe make a bit of a case for places like like birmingham northfield but even then it's not really a, a red wall seat obscure birmingham reference yes um, but you have like that the most of the what we're classing as, as red wall are towns which are less likely to have those quite extremes this is the thing what, what does leveling up actually mean because you could make the argument that leveling up is about saying there is some massive amount of income inequality in our country we should do something about it in which case it would be about a general process of leveling up especially the most deprived which are in cities like well tends to be, a lot of that is in a lot of cities like London, like Birmingham, like Manchester. Some interesting research from the Centre for Cities talking about how the bigger cities in in Britain, like Birmingham and Manchester, tend to be less productive than similar-sized cities in other European countries. Um, Basically, the bigger the city in the UK doesn't necessarily make you more productive, and they say that could be about um, improving public transport in those cities. It could be about making increasing skills in those cities. So you could say leveling up about that, except that never seems to be what the government seems to be saying it's about. As you say, maybe more for a political reason, because what they seem to be saying is that actually leveling up. Well, is it more on 
left behind towns, struggling coastal communities. If it is that, then what is your policy solution to that? The government doesn't have an answer to that question right now. Um, it was only relatively recently, and I want to say like maybe a month or so ago, that they announced that they had hired in um, one of the uh, backbench MPs, Neil O'Brien, um, to become their, their levelling up star. Granted, yes, they've had a lot of other things on, on their plate with COVID and, and, and everything else, but the fact that they don't even they hadn't seemingly even got anybody in place thinking about this stuff before the election or even during the election when they were like, hey, you know what, we're running on this, gives you an indication that up until now, it was probably just literally a slogan. We're going to level up Britain. We're going to level up the, the Red Wall. It was just comms and, and, and no meat. Um, to the actual uh, 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 to, to the actual agenda, when the government is kind of talking about this stuff, they are actually talk, talk, talking about it in very loose ways because uh, they don't actually have an indication as to what that involves. Um, and uh, as a result of that, um, you've ended up in a situation where there's you know confusion as to what it could entail, confusion as to uh, what sort of policies could come come off the back of it, and and actually this, the, you're starting to see amongst the uh, kind of like the, the the recent intake of, uh, of MPs, especially from those red wall seats, some concern that the government doesn't actually know what they're doing in regards to this, um, simply because how can you claim to be successful at something if you don't know how to measure it, and how can you measure something when you don't know what it is you're trying to do, and if you don't know what it is you're trying to do what are you even like governing for you know it's it's all all very much just comes back to this notion of a lack of ideology and like a notion of what they're actually trying to achieve at the top because Boris Johnson doesn't like making decisions it just kind of waterfalls down into a load of confusion which just leads to what well, i'm expecting to lead in many ways to bad policy decisions in terms of what they're doing there is there is a towns fund again some of that has been accused of essentially spending money in conservative supporting areas rather than labor supporting areas um for some of the political reasons you've said there is going to be a shared prosperity fund again that will replace eu structural funds that is coming in but again a lot of these funds just because of how they're allocated then if local authorities have to bid for them well the argument for the institute for government is that that puts a bias in favor of shovel ready projects you also need time and money to bid for them. So then you favour your local authorities who've got the time and money to bid on that kind of stuff. What you could be doing is increasing money for schools, for transport, for council. This was a Lord's report that Living Up said that that's where you should focus money on. Be interesting to see if that happens to in the scale in which it needs to. Again, there's, there's lots of piecemeal stuff like there's a I think there's a fund to help children recover some extra learning time for the pandemic, but it all feels a little bit piecemeal at the moment yeah and, and i suspect it will remain piecemeal because i don't think the actual the, the conservatives are going to want to get into that kind of situation where if like let's use education as the example here where we're saying okay well actually in order to level up these areas um we need uh, over the long term we need to put more into education in those areas cool let's do that that that, that is something that would make a difference you do that and then suddenly you've got other parts of the of the uk with other conservative mps kind of going um excuse me Where's our money? Why aren't we getting that? Um, at which point you end up in a situation where the Conservatives are having to consistently increase the uh, the amount of money that they're, they're, they're having to spend on these things when they don't want to. Um, because in order to do that, they only need to borrow money or tax more. And these are two things that the Conservatives do not like doing. 
Well, again, that's the tension that we've highlighted for, for months now, which yeah. is that tension between Boris Johnson, who wants to be liked, is happy to spend money, Rishi Sunak, very much a treasury sound money. As you say, a lot of the levelling up agenda was pretty put on hold because of the pandemic. But the two things that then ex- that need to be taken into account if we're going to talk about levelling up places are the impact of the pandemic and the impact of Brexit. It's some of the communities that have been hit by COVID the most in terms of economic impact tend to be cities that have a large amount of tourism. So cities like Glasgow, Liverpool, Newcastle, even London quite economically badly hit because there's not as much footfall as there was massive economic impact. Equally though, again, the Conservative manifesto said that getting Brexit done would provide new support to people in rural and coastal communities and farming and fishing communities. And there is a £20 million support scheme, there's a £100 million fund, but look at the reaction from fishing communities to the Brexit deal and what's that spent on the impact on European markets. Look at the impact of farmers to the Australian free trade deal that's just come out. There's gonna be massive structural shifts here. And again, it's not really obvious that the government is gonna help those communities. If anything, with the Australian deal, they're essentially throwing them under the bus. Yep, again, you this lack of definition of what levelling up means and the fact that it's been such a uh, foundational element of the government's messaging in the general election campaign and, and, and since then, COVID notwithstanding, means that there are an awful lot of places that probably do genuinely uh, genuinely think the government is going to help them in some capacity. But because they didn't define it and they haven't defined it and they don't seem to be anywhere closer to defining it, uh, a number of these places are in the position where they could be very, very disappointed. Like, the government is not going to be able to keep all of them happy. And I'm, I'm not talking about this from like the economic perspective or, or mor- morals or, or morality or anything like that, just the pure kind of political kind of wheeling and dealing. And your focus was just purely on winning as many seats as possible. You would make an active decision to basically go, you know what, actually, we can afford to lose these seats or, or, or these ones don't necessarily matter as much to us uh, in, in, some capacity, in some capacity. And you could then go, right, and as a result of that, you can then go, we're going to put, put, put all our attention into these ones because these are the ones where the, the biggest electoral gain is going to be. But again, you need to be planning to do that and the government isn't doing that planning, which means you're going to potentially end up in a situation where everybody could be disappointed here Nobody's going to get anything what what they would deem as substantial or something that's actually noticeable to the wider uh, the wider public, and that's going to be a massive issue politically for them moving forward. Because if they can't point to successes in those red wall seats, then that means that they can't point to a reason to be re-elect those MPs necessarily. I think that the, the towns fund. And also stuff like the free ports, I think, shows that actually in terms, if you're looking at this in just pure pork barrel politics, I mean, look at Ben Hutchinson and Tees Valley, like, there's been enough investment there to solidify a pretty stonking Tory victory. You could even say something similar, actually, about Andy Street in the West Midlands. You had, um, you mentioned Northfield, the MP for there, Gary Sandbrook. As I said, Gary Sandbrook said, if Liam Byrne, who is Labour's candidate for mayor, uh, one in May. There's not a cat in hell's chance of a Labour mayor getting a meeting with a Prime Minister in their first 100 days in office, as opposed to Andy Street, who's 
his 12-point plan was to get a meeting with the Prime Minister and get funding for their region. And again, Street's done a very good job of chiselling out the little he's actually done into looking like he's got stuff for lots of different areas. And it's almost that it's that weird system where um, it is Sam essentially basically claiming you have to elect a Tory MP a Tory mayor because otherwise you're not <laughs> you're not going to get funding because you'll be shafted if you elect a Labour one which is almost like you're almost like pricing that pork barrel politics into the system nice region you've got here yeah it should be a shame if something should happen to it it's the bla- the brazenness of actually that kind of statement that gets me more than anything but then again it is Gary Sandbrook he's not exactly known for his subtlety key I think though is your point that Leveling up is just a bit vague. So the Institute for Government have done a, a few different posts on this, and essentially they they say that essentially leveling up just ends up being well, we'll make things a bit better. It is a bit vague, but again, this goes two ways, doesn't it? Either the Conservatives can find enough shuffle ready ready projects to, if we assume it's all about sort of pork barrel politics, you find enough shuffle ready projects to spend money in the areas you you want to spend them, so that it looks like you can point to X, Y, Z. Or does it end up being just a general failure? Because actually, if you're going to do this properly, you would need to coordinate lots of different government departments. You'd need sustained spending, not just on massive squeaky infrastructure, but on trans uh, uh, on on qualifications, on funding for local authorities as well, which hasn't happened. And again, one of the weird political um, consequences seems to be. The, Tory governments in London cutting Labour councils funding and then Tory councillors being able to act as the insurgents to almost clean up the consequences of their own government's cuts which is a a weird dichotomy um or does it so you've there's a few ways you could see the Tories benefiting from this or does it just become a we we voted for a conservative government we wanted this funding we haven't got it it's all a bit vague and ethereal yeah I mean I say it is a bit of a double-edged sword where potentially because it's so vague, nobody walks away happy. But equally, like that fuzziness, that vagueness could be beneficial to to the Conservatives. Um, because what it could allow them is just, as you say, kind of point to any little thing and say, "Oh look, no, we've improved the town." It's entirely possible that the Tories could reap electoral rewards from this just by doing little things. Like, if you make money available so that every so that those towns can have the fireworks displays that were cancelled that have been cancelled because they don't have the money anymore so that they have money to redo the high street which had kind of become in a bit a bit of disrepair you know all of those sorts of things which create the notion of a place either being on the uplift or in decline it all could be the sort of thing which makes people go you know what actually they have done something for us um, and it could just be those little things are enough to kind of get the Conservatives over the line in regards to this, but it may not be because that they haven't defined it as that, and as such, it's possible that expectations of might get more than people expect. That, uh, sorry, it might be that expectations have grown beyond the point where they can actually do anything that is going to make people um, think they've succeeded because they didn't define it. They've just said, we're going to level up Britain. They want fireworks. They could have gone to Dominic Cummings' testimony, couldn't they? They could have, yeah. But it's a, it's a good point, and beyond the red wall, Deborah Matheson talks about that. It's about a lot of the conversations she's having with voters in in those seats are. It's about the neglect either of kind of local centres. It's a focus maybe on on town centres to the neglect of local high streets, or on bigger cities to the 
neglect of smaller towns on the periphery of those cities. So yeah, I think definitely it's that that sense of actually if you were to repair a, a lot of the local high streets that we government cuts have meant haven't had the attention they deserve could be a massive part of it yeah absolutely i mean literally on my way here today on the on, on the bus i went through through again birmingham northfield and went through northfield high street like the number of um shops that are there that are now boarded up permanently and they've got the and uh, the, the shops have closed down shops that have been there for, for decades in some instances they're just gone granted a lot of that's due to covid but it's it's part of a general sense of decline in an area and if you're able to do anything that kind of re-launches that sort of stuff and makes people feel like hey no we're in uh we're in the on the up and up again in our area that really matters because people are proud of their communities people like to be proud of the areas they come from uh and if you can make people feel proud uh, about that and just make it feel like the where they live is a nicer place there's a lot of electoral rewards to be reaped if you want to feel proud about something you've done today, you could back us on Patreon, couldn't you, Steve? Uh, you could indeed. You could head over to patreon.com slash notenoughchampagne where you can fling us a few quid every month, uh, which will gain you access to um, unique episodes and blog content and things like that. Um, d- d- uh, as uh, Corey alluded to the fact that Dominic Cummings uh, had a uh, firework display of a, uh, of a, uh, a select committee hearing, uh, and uh, one of our latest episodes is kind of going through that and uh, looking at what actually happened, what it all means. Uh, so, yeah, head over there, um, give it a look. And, uh, yeah, we, we uh, look forward to, to you joining our champagners. Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. Uh, James Crown designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Crown. And Dave Depper is responsible for our theme tune, Puggy Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. <laughs>